Hey, Bri, I'm not sure how we can talk a whole hour on this, much less spend multiple episodes on Dear Sister. I mean, Andy Samberg is funny, and it probably is the best and most memorable skit they've ever done, but... Jackie, I think you watched the wrong show. Ah, shit! Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast, and the beginning of our watch-along on the Ryoko Ikeda series, Dear Brother. My name is Vrai Kaiser. I am the managing content editor at Anime Feminist. You can find the stuff I freelance on my Twitter, at Writer Vry, or you can find the other podcast I co-host that is on semi-hiatus for life reasons, at TrashPod. Because this series is so much, we actually have three co-hosts, uh, Mercedes, Jackie, and our very special guest, who will introduce herself last, I guess, you know, for the floor. Yeah. So my name's Mercedes. I am a staff editor here at Anime Feminist, as well as a light novel editor. I've made it, y'all. And um, I also freelance as a journalist for the Anime News Network and... You know what? I think that's it. You can find me at, um, at Pixelated Lenses on Twitter, where I talk about stuff and I show off my very good food. And I'm Chiaki Hirai, one of the editors for NFM as well. Uh, I work as a journalist in my day job, but uh, you can find me at, at Chiaki747 or at Animated Empress on Twitter. My main is locked, but more people follow me on there for some reason. And special guest, would you like to introduce yourself as our expert? Hi. I'm Diana. I'm on Twitter as at SilenceDrowns, and I am not actually from Anime Feminist, but I happen to know a lot of people there, and I do love Ryoko Ikeda stuff. I am a hobby cosplayer and current wig commissioner, and I happen to have seen Dear Brother multiple times, which none of the Anime Feminist staff has, so hello. I am your expert. Nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> we are extremely grateful Very. for your guidance. Very. Thank you. <laughs> now, as mentioned, this is Dear Brother, which is Ikeda's uh, second most famous work. A lot of you at home are probably slightly more familiar with uh, The Rose of Versailles, maybe one of the single most influential shoujo manga ever. Oh, this ever is The Rose penned. of Versailles Lady. That's that's what I generally yes, know her for. Yes, exactly that oh. Look, y'all, I've never read it. <laughs> like, Me neither. It? Does it have an anime? Sorry. I, I think so. It does. It does. Okay. Someday we'll do that. Okay. Someday. Yes. And as a quick warning to everybody at home, I wanted to say off the top that if you're watching along with us for this one, Dear Brother, I know at least is known for getting into some extremely heavy content. And at least for the first seven episodes, which is what we watched today, uh, it includes a lot of bullying of the main heroine as part of the plot, uh, including some pretty serious suicide baiting and also some issues with flashing lights, which Diana, you were going to talk about more yes. in specific. I happen to both love vintage anime and have photosensitive migraine, which is a very fun combination, let me tell you. And I will say, I don't think the first seven episodes of Dear Brother are nearly as severe as episode 10 is one of the ones that I found much worse. I would compare the level of flashing lights in the earlier stuff to, if you're fine watching Evangelion in a brightly lit room, you will be okay with this. There are some bits, but I, would, I consider them pretty mild. It's episode 10 that's the one that you're going to want to watch for. I would also like to add as gotcha. the expert that just, I think it's worth knowing going in that the content warnings for this series are so much. Like, berserk so much, except without the assault. Definitely, definitely a lot because, I mean, I'm somebody that went through bullying uh, throughout uh, my, ch my childhood and I kind of went into this completely blind. Uh, so uh, it was kind of a surprise for me uh, hitting some of those story points. I definitely did not expect the level of bullying, but like, 
because I, I didn't do really a lot of um, research into this before I watched either because I I just, you know, I wanted to expect, but like it is, it is definitely a bullying forward show and um, quite brutal in its depiction um, without necessarily being gory, like just very brutal and like, oh, Nanako, oh, you sweet yeah. child. <laughs> I would say that most of the content warnings in this series are more of the emotional stuff. I think it's worth pointing out early on without specifics that there will be content warning for drug use which the first seven episodes you do see the very beginning of but there will be more of this content and if that is something you cannot handle at all you will need to be very careful with this series mm. noted That's really that good is to good to know now Generally, if this is your first time listening to one of our watch-alongs, our format is that we have one person who is an expert, as you can tell, and the rest of the uh, members of the podcast are experiencing the show for the first time. We, Our general policy, unless we try to give you some advance notice like we just did or talk about it in vague terms, is that spoilers for anything we've watched for a given episode are fair game, and we won't mention including our expert, anything that we haven't come up on yet without getting you a heads up. So normally we try to pick series that are available on streaming because then if you want, you all can, you know, keep up with us. In fact, that is kind of the reason that we are doing Dear Brother now rather than starting with uh, something like Rose of Versailles or Lady Oscar as it is out as right now uh, because last summer I was chatting with Daryl Surratt of Discotech who currently holds the Blu-ray license to Dear Brother and he happened to mention to me that because Ikeda is sort of legendarily weird about licensing issues and extremely very personally involved with approvals and that kind of thing. They were only able to get the Dear Brother license for a short period of time. The number he mentioned to me was about a year, but I don't know when that year is counted for. Uh, and so we decided that we really wanted no, to get on get this blue. because this is such... Blue. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, oh, get, gotta it get it now! now. <laughs> we are not being paid by Discotech. I just think this show's really interesting, and I didn't want to miss our chance to to talk about it uh, before before it was no longer legally available because I have been waiting to watch this series since I noticed that Right Stuff had done a very, very limited thin, uh, thin pack release of it almost, I think, a decade ago now, at, where just for years they had a single sad DVD of the second half of the series that taunted me, <laughs> and that was very sad. Yeah. Most of the uh, Ryoko Ikeda shows, when they go out of print, you are going to have a devil of a time finding them secondhand because the sort of people who pick them up are not the sort of people who are going to want to resell them. I would say, if you have any interest in the series at all to the point you might consider getting it on Blu-ray, get it now. You can always resell it later, probably for a profit. And discotheque titles do go on sale pretty pretty frequently. So, like, I'm opening right stuff after we finish recording. <laughs> I think I got mine for like twenty percent off. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll pay full price. Mine on sale. I they had it on sale for yeah. My, mine was I think about twenty five bucks because they had it on an incredible sale. Yeah, I think that's back. about what I paid for it. Look from Mariko, any price, mm -hmm. any. Ah, <laughs> uh, Mariko, <laughs> amazing. So for those of you who are listening to this without watching the show because you want to hear about it, but maybe don't want to experience the more dramatic and intense content firsthand, a very brief potted summary is that this is the story of high schooler Misono Nanako, who is starting her very first year of high school at the prestigious Seiron Girls Academy. And all of this is framed through her writing letters to her dear brother who is not actually her brother he is a teacher at cram school that she asked if she could write letters to and there is a whole thing with that but when she gets to the school 
she learns that there is an elite and beautiful sorority uh, who every year selects a number of prestigious girls within the school into that sorority. And if accepted, then their world is opened up to this world of parties and influence and basically your life is made. And even though she had no desire to go for one of those spots, she somehow manages to find herself a newfound member of the sorority, which makes her a target for a lot of the girls at the school. And that is the basic premise. Also, there is a lot of drama and fallout with the previous generation of her upperclassmen that she is trying to kind of piece the uh, pieces together. There is so much drama. This series is peak drama. It is so much. Uh, Diana, do you want, or would you be so kind as to kind of give the folks at home a little bit of a snapshot picture of who Ikeda is and why her work is such a big deal or any of you really, I I feel like all of you know a bit about Ikeda. I can start out with a little bit. Ryoko Ikeda is a classic, classic manga author whose most famous works from the seventies are still pretty darn well known today. Like back in 2019, I went to a convention in Italy where her stuff has been especially popular and the amount of stuff i saw with lady oscar on it was surprisingly high i can't think of anything that's been that popular for that long her work is also particularly known not just for her beautiful artwork but for the fact that a lot of the themes that she chose to write on she was one of the first authors to really go into them and therefore if you read her stuff or watch the animated adaptations you get to kind of see the, the uh, template that later shows were working off of. Like, she really got in hardcore to things about, like, peak drama, of course, but also she has a lot of themes about exploring gender roles in ways that it would, in ways that seem almost eerily prescient. Now, I mean, from a modern perspective. <clears throat> if you, if you watch Rosa Versailles and Dear Brother, suddenly Utna makes more sense. Yeah, so uh, to touch on Utna in specific, I don't want to believe, I'm going to continually remind myself not to belabor that point too much because uh, neither Chiaki nor Mercedes have actually seen Utna. I keep trying to convince proudly, the listeners. Proudly have not. Save your comments I, I want to correct things and say that I agreed and said I would. So you convinced me. It's true. No, you're right. You are not the problem. It's it's me desperately trying to convince Chiaki to give up on her her major Twitter joke of spitefully never having seen. I've seen Utena. the first three episodes. Does that count? No. Okay. No. <laughs> but yes, uh, if you are watching at home and you have already seen Utena, you will notice things uh, from the broader sense of like archetypal characters who are like ah this this person reminds me of Juri and this one is a bit like Nanami and to the very specific of the episode one basketball scene is pretty much recreated shot for shot from Dear Brother to Utena. So there is a lot of very deliberate homage in terms of this school system full of secrets and very high intensity relationships kind of thing. This show is kind of a key to understanding the influence and the shape of that later anime. Which is interesting because this is a manga from the 70s, but not adapted into an anime until 1991. I would also like to add that the 70s manga, while it is not legally available in English, it is available in several other languages. And it is both significantly shorter and, believe it or not, I feel it to be an entirely inferior version of what happened with the anime. By expanding the anime to such a much larger length, the story is given more room to breathe and you get to feel all of the emotional beats so much more. The manga is is amazing, but it goes at a, such a breakneck speed that you can kind of just read all the very few volumes in an afternoon and just sit there like, well, that was a lot of emotions. That's what I said about puberty too. Mm. Well, that was a lot of emotions. <laughs> There are some things I've heard about the differences in the ending between the manga and the anime that uh, left me with a raised eyebrow, but we will not discuss that until such a time as it is relevant. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, and speaking of Ikeda in English, it is actually quite recent that any of her stuff has been out at all. We finally did get the Udon edition of Rose of Versailles, although snap that up because, again, Ikeda works tend to be out in English for short periods of time. And actually, uh, my experience with Ikeda before this was almost exclusively with her short story, Claudine, which is a a short manga out through seven seas about a trans man named Claude. And it's quite sympathetic for having come out in the seventies. You know, it ends in tragedy and suicide because that was sort of the expectation of the thing, but it's a very humanized portrait for the time when it was written. And it, it really uh, stuck with me. I actually meant to uh, ask all of you what your, how much you've interfaced with classic shoujo Either Ikeda in specific or classic shoujo in general before coming to the series. I'm going to be real, not a lot. <laughs> the story of how I found out about Ikeda is absolutely wild. So if you want to hear that, I can tell you. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. Tell it, us the thing. It includes encountering a volume of manga, which I have found staff on Anime News Network speculating before that it might be mythical and never existed. Back in eighth grade, I picked up Utna, which, um, please do not let your eighth graders watch Utna. They are not ready for it. And I was a big fan. However, no. I also was in the San Francisco Bay Area, and my mother, was, who was a teacher, was watching or was sponsoring the anime club. This becomes relevant because one of her students, when I was getting into Utna, was like, oh, a family friend of mine, like I think it was, I think it was her godfather, worked on part on translating a manga that like that was um, really influential for Utna. Would you like to read it? And therefore, that is how I got loaned a copy of the mythical Frederick Shoat Rose of Versailles, Volume One and Two, which oh. until recently most people didn't even know the second volume happened. And so I was like. 14, 15 reading that, and that was one of my early favorite manga. And so, yeah, that's. I grew up on Rose of Versailles, which is not very common for an English speaker. That's pretty cool. Definitely a Bay Area story. Wild. Fred's a local. I got. I improved my skill at reading French specifically to read imported Rose of Versailles volumes. I love that dedication. I'm much less interesting. What about, by the way? Um, uh, no, no. Uh, as far as my, you know, interest in Ikeda, uh, Ikeda, she's. I mean, she's just part of the, um, you know, the general manga culture, right? Um, I, I know of her name. I know that um, Rosa Bursai, uh Berubara in Japanese is super super well known even my mom knows it and she doesn't even read manga for the most part and was like oh yeah that person so like i i know it by name but i never actually had the opportunity to read it and the same goes for most classic shoujos to me for me never really had a major interest in it but i did read you know princess knight um i do own heart of thomas um several other classic works but mostly because i know them as classic works rather than in my own personal interest to read that puts us in something of an interesting position for what i wanted to talk about next because as somebody who is by no means an expert on classic shoujo uh but does have kind of an interest in it at least the relatively small amounts of what was out in english you know i i really love my partner uh introduced me to from eroica with love oh which I yes adore dearly you know oh yes <laughs> i'm so sad that you could never ever make it into an anime now even if aoike were to die it's way too outdated <laughs> not to mention the legal issues with the character design once someone told me about that i just lost it listen robert plant is dead it's fine <laughs> oh my uh, so I, I also have uh, Heart of Thomas and the Poe Clan, and I've read a, a bunch of Hagia stuff that's out in English. And I keep pestering Seven Seas to translate Kazetoki no Uda. Please, please, God, please. But so what struck me with all of those and 
leading into Dear Brother is how Dear Brother keeps up the tradition of early shoujo that deals particularly with, well, with sort of controversial themes in general and with any kind of engaging with queerness in particular is that it kind of needs to set it in either a completely European setting, you know, stories like Heart of Thomas love to take, and Kaze Tokino Uta love to take place in European boarding schools, you know, so it's an over there kind of thing that you're staring at as an outsider enjoying this, this very other uh, beautiful dream kind of thing. Or once you get into Dear Brother, it's got a very European aesthetic for a lot of these characters and just the general style. So I wondered if you guys picked up on that kind of thing or had thoughts about it in general, I guess. It's it's very fascinating because, like, <laughs> this show sets itself, like, in this really interesting liminal, like, space of it is definitely Japan. Like, it's very, very clearly Japan until you cross the boundary of the school and then you go into this kind of other world that like deals with sororities and these very western in particular like obviously very english influenced um kind of aspects of culture and it does kind of take it kind of creates the space where it's all right for these certain kind of power dynamics these certain kind of engagements with different power dynamics, these kind of certain engagements with sexuality and identity and gender, it makes it okay to happen. Because like, if this was just like Seiron public school number five, oh, (laughs) (laughs) this would not be happening. Like this would not be happening. But because it's this academy that kind of like has created and cultured this specific space, like, these girls are these young women and these girls are like allowed to kind of live this almost you know like they stepped into the fairy ring and got transported to another world kind of life um if if they're chosen to kind of go through that because like you have tomoko who like sis just in the cooking club (laughs) i love tomoko i do too she's a great girl oh tomoko's like the one normal kid right Tomoko is just here to get an education. She's she's there to remind the audience that everything here is just fucked up in some way or another. She's a great foil to Mariko. So she's the one that you wish were your friend in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do really appreciate Tomoko's presence because you know in general this show is well I've heard it. pinpoint it as kind of one of the major precursors to uh to the class as genre in a modern sense before uh maria sama kind of re-kickstarted that sub-genre but like also you have this sort of so i'm here for all of that the deeply deeply homoerotic longings so into that but I, i really enjoy that also you have um the relationship between nanako and uh Oh God, uh, and Tomoko, which is sort, which is just a more kind of straightforward platonic friendship story. I like that it contains both of those rather than it, it makes the yeah. drama actually feel much more realistic because it is kind of grounded in the fact that like Nanako and Tomoko are these outsiders who like did not grow up in the Seiren Academy kind of environment, did not grow up affluent. Like Nanako is very much a middle class Japanese girl enjoying the economic boom. Like, she's, I think, oh no, maybe she's not. My understanding, like, who knows? We're only seven episodes in, but like, she's just kind of a normal girl. And Tomoko's just kind of a normal girl. I don't think they're going to be normal girls in the end. But for right now, (laughs) they're just kind of like, chill. And it makes like the moments, um, I'm thinking of like, when the Kinzon incident happens, which is just so like dramatic it makes those moments feel really grounded in a weird way even though they're like bigger than life drama can i just take a moment to say uh if you're watching the blu-ray version they call it the spiky frog i literally yeeted my soul out of my body what a spiky frog was but luckily i came across a bunch of things saying 
spiky frog ikebana and i'm like oh it's that <laughs> no, like i know i know what it is i know what yeah. it is but it's like as as far as everything as far I, as anything you can translate it to i know it's the correct translation but you're wrong like you would never call a kids on a spiky like, like that is an incredibly apparently, you can, apparently if you're trying to buy one online from english speaking websites they often are called no. that which i had no idea i just knew it as the ikebana thing no no kinzon, just call they it did you dirty they did you dirty kinzon you don't deserve that babe <laughs> okay but my my partner was losing her shit during that bit because she watched yeah. it with me and that's a fairly common tool in like things uh in, in crafts like felting as well so she was like yeah that's gonna hurt your hand but it's not like well, that okay, no, no 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 i will say as someone trained in japanese flower arrangement you drop a kinzen on it yeah you're that's gonna actually happen because they're they're sharp and they tend to be rusted it is tetanus shot city Oh yeah, because yeah. oh, yeah. they're, they're, oh. constant, they're constantly in water when you do it, right. Ibana, right? So, like, as someone who owns like eight of them, yeah, no, no, yeah. Nanako, Nanako scream that we one. heard three times. That was not overreacting. <laughs> I have one as well, and yeah, it is this old rusty hunk of super sharp metal, and I am actually somewhat afraid of it. <laughs> Before this series, like Nanako scream. <laughs> God, that we heard three times was so on point because I was like, "Yeah, that died same." If that Ken's on, if that spiky frog got you, you'd certainly be spiked. <laughs> oh my god, spike! That whole moment is so—it's such a turning point of these first seven episodes, and it's such a thing of like, okay, it's a real thing, but also it's deeply over dramatic in how many times we see that scene replayed, and also the screaming, and also there's this stuff that I assume will continue to be woven through of like feminine tools of violence and like feminine violence in terms of emotional interactions in this I, girl's space. I, I actually, which I actually am looking forward to because I like that dear brother heard the term weaponized femininity and was like, what if it was an actual club? What if it was an actual spiky frog? What if what if we maybe give Mariko a knife one day? I hope Mariko gets a knife. I want some oh, weaponized no. femininity from her. But I feel like I feel like some of that is also um, you know, just a trick in the industry, right? You you try to keep down costs in animation. I, I feel Dear Brother's animation is beautiful, by the way. Just, like, everything about it, the look and feel is just so good. So period. And it is absolutely peak yeah, is. and I say this as a compliment. This is one of his masterworks. Mm -hmm. And But I noticed that, like, a lot of the shots are repeated. You know, a lot of the tricks of the trade are used to kind of save on having to draw new scenes over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those at home who may not be aware, uh, uh, this was directed by Dezaki Osamu, who is a really, really big name in the second half of the 20th century of an as an anime director. Uh, he made Ashita no Joe. He did a lot of work on Lupin the Third and Astro Boy and just so many big titles. Uh, the, the back half of the Rose of Versailles anime. So he was, it was a big deal for him to direct this and yeah watching this anime i couldn't help but think oh my god this is how you make limited resources look really re and limited animation look really I mean, good and stylish i compare this to like my other most recent launch along uh his and her circumstances where they also repeated a lot of things <laughs> it's like a it's this is like if you're gonna have to repeat stills this is what i want like these lush beautiful like just you know i didn't mind hearing nanako scream three times though it was very boring <laughs> because it came out of nowhere and i was like sis calm down it's just a spiky frog <laughs> no no one in this series calms down it. ever it's worth everything I is emotions it. it's so good Emot i think it's worth telling people who might not have seen it that if you have ever seen a 90s anime aesthetic tweet you have seen pictures from this series mariko is the number one anime aesthetic girl from tumblr she is inescapable she is beautiful and a legend but you have seen just pictures of her eyes or her hair blowing she is everywhere 
you watch this and you go, oh, that's where all of these are from. Do, do, do you all want to take a moment to talk yes. about Mariko? Because Please. the girl is a mess. And I do, I don't support her, but I do yes, love her. Mariko Queen. <laughs> I, no, I, I think she's a mess, but I support her. Oh, I'm, I'm very, I no, think Mariko can do no wrong. I think she's perfect. I like her she red thumbnails. She is a troubled gay mess, and I want nothing but yeah. the best for her. She constantly cabidons Nanako. Like, Mariko was ahead of Kabidon becoming, like, a global term. This child, every time she sees Nanako, is like, Nanako-chan, sis, what's up? Look at my red thumbnails. I'm so great. And then, like, I mean, just great. She yeets a girl at some point, almost. Like, it's just so good. Love Mariko. Number one stand. <laughs> I feel like it doesn't matter how many things she does technically wrong it's hard not to like her anyway yeah. because there's just something about how she's written and portrayed that makes you want better for her than what the series already gives Look, her mariko could murder someone and i would still be like she was probably justified <laughs> <laughs> i would like i i I tweeted this, but I would like to put it out in audio format as well. I desperately hope that after this series became a thing, that queer women in Japan started flagging with uh, red you, thumbnails. You mean, you mean like I yours truly is doing today? <laughs> Good. Like, Fair. Like, Seriously, though, the hair, the lips, everything. She is just the so most good. aesthetic character of dress. all time. The fact that she, like, bites her lips to make them, like, look redder. That's queer culture. This series is obviously so steeped in girls staring sadly at each other, but Mariko is such a particular relatable being closeted and queer in high school where you make your really close best friend and you're just going to be, you're going to friend so aggressively hard that I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll fall in love with you. I don't know. Maybe you'll just be so good at being friend and so, so supportive. And we were know. both girls and we held hands. Like, and I mean, like, and you can tell, like, everybody is into Mariko. When Nanako describes her lips as lips moistened, like, glittering wet grapes, it's like, wow. This might be a good time to mention that back a long time ago, when this was fan sub only, there was an old guide for it that I had Googled up that had a list of content warnings. And one of the content warnings was, and I quote directly, lesbianism. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. Content warning god, lesbianism. That's great. <laughs> <sighs> uh, I I suppose it's accurate. It's an accurate I statement. Mean, but between everything Mariko does and Ray popping the crunchiest tic tacs all the time. Every single time Ray pops the pills, it's like a TikTok bottle like rattling one around. It's just it's good. By the way, by the way, as I said, I came into this series totally, absolutely, completely blind, right? Did not realize Ray was uh -huh. a girl. Or, well, queer, gender queer, maybe, I don't know, but, like, biologically a woman. Like, I did not realize that this was an all-girls school going in. I thought this was actually about a theater like club in a school because of how fucking over-the-top it seemed. And I was proven extremely wrong as I watched the first and second episodes. I just want to congratulate Ryoko Ikeda for the Galaxy Brain Incorrect decision after writing Rose of Versailles to go, wow, Oscar and Andre were great character designs. Let's use them again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, right? That's funny. Yeah, because Kaoru and Ray are just I'm not going to lie, I also thought, I, didn't, I thought Ray was like a teacher because I was like, what student owns a three-piece tuxedo? <laughs> this beautiful icon. Like, I mean, but... You ever see something and you just know that the creator designed an adult but then was like oh wait, this series is set in high yeah. school. I'm, they are conveniently now mm. 17, wink wink. Because Ray. Yeah. I also cannot, am now extremely primed for, uh, for Ray to die tragically because oh, yeah. if I just uh, reach over and take Claudine off my shelf, uh, I will notice. I, I will tell you that Claude also looks exactly like Oscar, and uh, both of them die tragically. So Ikeda likes to Ray's kill her not blondes. making it. Ray's not making it to episode twenty-four. Ray, Ray gonna die. Ray gonna die. 
Yeah. Ray's gonna die of like sadness and too many tic tacs. Ray's gonna die. <laughs> Ray's gonna die. By the way, something I I went down a Google rabbit hole about. You know the uh, the poem that that Ray is muttering to herself during the Clock Tower episode. I uh, went that I, I went to look it up, and obviously the show then made me feel very sad for wasting my efforts because it, it went ahead and told us what the actual uh, title of the poem was, which is, you know, but the author that she's quoting is, uh, is Paul Verlaine, who for the purposes of this series is a choice pick because he was known as a prominent member of the decadent oh, movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. haha. Joke goes here. Uh, but also, he was what was known as a symbolist. So he was working at a time for poets where they had to work in abstract terms because they couldn't talk about their subject matter directly, which is pretty apropos for a series dealing so uh, intimately with queerness and also the anxieties of girl Look, I am just waiting. I am waiting for Nanako to be like, dear brother, today... Looked up lesbian in the dictionary, and my picture was next to it. And ooh, let me tell you, what a revelation! Oh my god! Ah, uh, God, the symbolism just dripping. It's so. I do. As I was watching this, I was just left with the overpowering question for a reader in the seventies or a viewer in nineteen ninety one: Is it supposed to be any kind? of twist that Ray is clearly deeply, deeply, deeply in love with the sorority president. I think so. I think in the 90s edition, probably. I'm not sure about the manga because I haven't read it, but given how fast it is, is it? I'd say it's pretty obvious that there is some sort of deep emotional connection, even if you're not a modern viewer. Like, there is something going on there. Yeah. I think modernity and the the conversations we have with like queer culture and with in specific sapphic romance nowadays is is like literally a world apart, right? And I do think like if I had read it at the time as an adult or even like an older teen, I think it would have been like something of like a oh my gosh kind of like twist. Whereas like this time I was like oh okay mm. I I get it it's gay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I want to say it, it would be obvious, but then I remember the 1990s and the infamous story about the dubbing of Utena. And oh, I'm like, oh, Lord. No, and, and we not. can even, like, if you think of a real world example, like, I know she's contentious these days for, you know, great, for, for, for certain reasons. But, like, if you think about Ellen, like, people in the 90s looked at her and were like, yeah, she's straight. yeah this was a twist (laughs) this was a twist back then for sure like no you know what that's yeah this is a real Liberace situation (laughs) by the way I think it's worth pointing out because the beginnings of it have started in the first seven episodes that I highly recommend everybody pay attention to specifically the flowers that get shown very prominently on screen and look up Japanese flower language because there is a lot of symbolism about the relationships that are hidden via flowers where they expect you to know what a certain flower would symbolize in specifically Japanese flower language. I had to look that up and I was shocked how much I missed by not paying attention to that. Oh no, I'm really bad at Japanese flower language in specific. It's like I'm watching a Yamada series all over again. It's it's interesting because like some of the stuff or things that like I got taught with Ikebana, right? So like some of the flowers I was like, oh, oh, okay. Um, Dang, such a good series, ain't it? This series is odd in that at the same time that it's like, I've heard of subtext and it's for cowards. It's also like, what? stating things clearly when I can put them under 12 layers of symbolism? Who does that? It's just like, hello, would you like to have every single possible way of conveying emotion all at the same time? Yeah, it's 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 really genuinely quite interesting. Um, gosh, it, it leans both ways, too. And it's... And it, oh my gosh. <laughs> I got to make a joke. Whatever. 
<laughs> no, it, 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 it definitely like, and I guess, I guess too, that's the thing is like, I guess do, do anime, do anime right now still do that? I think uh, especially flower language in Jap- Japan has been sort of a dying um, motif. Unless you're um, one priority. Yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. unless you are specifically a Yamada anime or an anime influenced by no, uh, yeah, Yamada like, Naoko. I, I think it's very much a, I read, uh, you know, classic to modern, uh, you know, post-war literature kind of levels of understanding Japanese culture rather than the more modern pop variants. This is really one of those series that, and I can back this up from my own experience, you'll be able to get more and more out of it every time you watch it because there's just so many layers of things going on that you're guaranteed to at least miss one thing because you're focusing on something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is It is clearly doing a lot at every single moment, which I appreciate. I was I was uh, discussing with my partner why we were both re- getting really into this, even though when I was watching Glass Mask for the podcast, which I had very much enjoyed for what it was, and uh, my partner very did not, was the difference between them. And I, I found that something about this series is just so skilled at balancing that level of melodrama so that it's not at least for me it wasn't so there was a level of remove from the distressing content where i could consume it without it feeling like it was being too emotionally battering but also i felt genuinely invested in the character dynamics and where things were going and also the it's also just over the top and sumptuous and decadent enough that it feels you know like this beautiful, majestic, slightly camp roller coaster. Mm, I think that's a really good point. And I think, too, it helps because it brings in these kind of things that, like, I don't know if I've ever seen an anime use sororities. I kind of wonder. Yeah, I was what, actually going to. I kind of wonder what kind of sorority the uh, the creators had encountered because this doesn't sound like what. <laughs> this was actually my question. So, Mercedes, you. You grew up in Texas? I sure, I sure did, born and raised. <laughs> so do you have experience with with sorority culture? Because my understanding is it is quite different in the, even in the South, even compared so, to the rest of America. I, say, I grew up in Texas, went to school in Missouri, which we all know is just still part of the South. But I will also say, like as a clarification, black sororities are very different than white slash European descending mm. people sororities. However, I had a lot of friends in college who were in sororities, and they are very, I think, I think a lot of female friendships are telegraphed through sapphicism. I don't think it's necessarily sexualized, or is it always queer? No. But, like, I think female friendships in sororities, and I, I say female here because sororities tend, I hope not maybe anymore, but tend to be cis women, right? Like, the the intensity of, like, what you're doing is very curious to me because like I remember sororities um I went to school in a very small town in Missouri called Fulton I went to Westminster College and Mm. it's a college of about 10,000 a college in a town of about 10,000 at the time I was there and like so sororities would go around like serenading men they would go and like sing on the lawn for like the fraternity which is weird um and like but there were also like these bonds and like sorority before all else was this thing that like you would see and you can see that certainly in like clubs in high schools in Texas like if you're in certain all all gender groups like there is this expectation that they're before all else but I think when you get to southern sororities like you have this kind of sisterhood and the sisterhood trumps all else like if you're not in the sisterhood you're kind of excluded by proxy um and I feel like that's really what they're drawing on is like you're part of this exclusive group and you are expected to endure certain things because that is what sisterhood is um point uh just just like me guessing this is what's gonna drive mariko to do some like sororicide 
just like <laughs> it's just like it, it, it's this tightened it's this tightened bond that like you're also paying for, which is what's always curious. And that's like I don't think like in Dear Brother they're not paying to be in this. They're the payment is like you just dedicate every ounce of your time. Whereas like in real life, the payment in a lot of sororities is like you are fiscally dedicating a certain chunk of money to them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I am. Um, because, well, I am not, I did not pledge and I am not Southern, but I have done a little bit of reading over the years on sorority culture. And I found that connection very interesting in regards to dear brother, because my understanding of it is particularly in the South a, you are expected to um, to pledge, uh, is my understanding. And once you graduate, uh, it seems like going to a job interview and having your interviewer say, oh, where did you pledge, is pretty common. And that level of connectivity is kind of expected in a way that it is not in Northern Right, States. and now I can speak to this from, like, when, you, when it comes to, like, the Divine Nine, which is what Black fraternities and sororities, that's collectively what the nine main ones are called. Um, I, my understanding is that, like, if you're a Delta, which is a female sorority, um, that, like, there's certain recognition and, like, it connects you to this network. You become part of this family. And I think that's universal, regard if you take ethnicity and race and background out of it, that you're connected to this family across the country. Um, and it, 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 you know, I was one of like the 10% of people that didn't pledge like a lot of people at least pledge they may not get in but like a lot of people at my college hung out at frat houses I didn't I was never comfortable at them at them I also really didn't drink so like I wasn't part of that culture um but like it is this thought that like you join this kind of elite society that like connects you for the rest of your life my mother mm-hmm. is very white and went to school in California. <laughs> but even just as of recently, she was asking me to uh, drive her to a lunch meeting with her uh, sorority sister, who um, was just casually the mayor of a local city because she didn't want to deal with the parking there. And I understand this. But yeah, she talks about her sorority sisters, and I'm just like, oh my god, it's been so long and you still have all of these bonds. Yeah. That'll happen. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, it can be like this really beautiful lifelong thing for a lot of people and it really opens doors for you that you don't get if you don't have access to this thing. And as I understand, it is quite prohibitively well, expensive. And also, there's also the bullying aspect, right? And we see this in Dear Brother, like, mm-hmm. hazing is a very real thing. And I think hazing typically gets ascribed to fraternities, because that's usually who are reported on news stories. You know, you'll see stories of, like, student dies from being forced to drink, like, 50 gajillion gallons of water, which, you know, dangerous, not making lighthearted, you know, remarks about that. I mean, if anything, that's what's caused hazing to go down in the last 10 or so years. Right. But like, sororities also can be quite vicious. Mm -hmm. Um, In a way, I think in a very different, like, psychological way. Um, Because like, you know, I I have memories of like, I lived with um, a roommate who was in a sorority. And like, them joking about like um, we're just gonna take their clothes for them and they're gonna streak and i was like that's horrible <laughs> that's not funny like you know there these these kind of different varying kinds of bully i hope no one makes anyone streak on this show please don't do that to nanako <laughs> like but like you know it's just these levels of like there's bullying that's kind of intrinsic and you kind of just take that as part of being able to access this part of society at this age and like i hope that wears off i hope there's not like 30 and 40 year old women bullying each other that's not nice (laughs) but also i'm an outsider to that culture right like i very deliberately had zero interest in greek life just still do still don't have any interest (laughs) i am a little concerned about you know um nanako getting into the sorority because you know she herself made made a good point that she had she very well should have failed that entrance exam um yet she made it in and it's a it's really a mystery why she was chosen you know to be admitted um 
I'm just curious, like, you know, are they keeping her around as sort of like the humble, you know, the the simple girl who's who's a sort of the sorority's pet or or what's going on? I'm I'm scared to find out. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by the class dynamics going on mm-hmm. in because, you know, obviously Nanako is the quote unquote normal student who's transferred in among all of these very rich, not just rich, but connected peers, where to the point where the fact that she is adopted becomes a pretty major scandal. And the fact that Ma- that Mariko is so connected to her uh, father being disgraced as somebody who writes erotica or the fact that Mas- and the fact that that is part of the insults that she trades with Masaki, who is our sort of archetypal Ojo character here. It's very interesting that these girls selfhoods becomes so shackled to these influential men in their life, all while they're trying to sort of vie for this ostensibly female sisterhood system. It's really interesting. Mm, yeah. It, Nanako definitely feels like the kind of girl that they're keeping around because she is curiously middle-class. Mm-hmm. But the downside to that is like rich people be mean y'all. Yeah. <sighs> Like, Housewives of Seiron Academy, this is not going to be nice to Nanako. They are going to eat this child up. Um, I have to say, I went (laughs) to school in an incredibly rich area, despite not being rich myself. And wow, some of this really plays true to that specific experience of being the normal income person at a school full of fabulously wealthy people. Oh no, did you have a friend like Mariko? Very specific types of bullying. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. That's very sad. I'm I'm so sad for Nautico now. Like, like, to the point of like, being bullied for not wearing the right brand of clothes because it makes you look poor, and then you actually manage to save up for one of those and wear it, and then they start bullying you again for trying to be better than you are. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Rich people are crazy. Eat them. Eat the rich. Anyway. Uh. (laughs) Okay, but a momentary shout-out to to Kaoru and her speech about, you know, the bourgeois and her hatred of the sorority system and so I, I i love Kaoru. he's good Kaoru is a class trader and that's wonderful can we talk about when Kaoru takes the trash and said trash should go to the trash bin yeah and threw it it's like oh my god Kaoru, don't hit another student with the trash it was so good i had to or do it was absolutely deserved but like when Kaoru said trash should go in trash bins i was like oh my god Kaoru doesn't care just constantly though not even a little just bit. constantly though you know it's like if you like i can hear her just fine if you come right next to me you can hear her oh my, oh my god and then what didn't wasn't that followed up with Kaoru also yeeting a student into the teacher <laughs> yes it's i think it's interesting i love that they set ray up to to be seemingly the princely sort of character, but in fact, she's too busy swanning about in a constant state of near collapse. Some TikToks. She got those extra minty ones. It's taking her down. Uh, it's so, so much. Mariko and Kaoru both have no chill, but in absolutely very different ways. They are both yeah. just at 100% all the time, just in it's very great. different ways. It's great. Meanwhile, Ray is just like collapsing on the ground, like, "Oh, this is normal for me." Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been in high school. I was probably the Ray in high school, so that's oh, no. fair. <laughs> oh no! Leave me. I'm dying. It's fine. <laughs> I do love. I love that Ray exists in the same series where the major inciting incident for like this three episode fight arc is you canceled plans with me this weekend. Our friendship is over. And, and you know, I say that jokingly, but it, it is really, I think, uh, I can't remember 
who said it off call, but it is really beautiful how this how this series manages to capture how big and world ending emotions seem in high school. I think that was Diana. Like, yeah, sure. I yeah I said that. Like this series, even if some of the stuff is so over the top, it still feels so true to like what it feels like to be in hi- a high school girl, especially if you were a little bit of an outsider. It's just by exaggerating the drama to ridiculous to ridiculous extents, it still manages to be true to the emotions. Alternatively, this is what it was like if you were in a high school band. <laughs> we just need to give Nanako a trombone. <laughs> I mean, I, as I said, as I said, going into the series, I thought this was about like a high school drama club, right? Like they're oh all God. part of the drama club and they were Could like... You I mean, is it really not a drama club it's for a very different definition of drama <laughs> these are these are the theater kids that got really into acting 24 7 method actors all of them death oh my gosh it's so good it's so good god i love this series we are we are coming up on the hour. Does anybody want to throw out some predictions for our next batch? Because clearly this is a show where everything happens so much. Oh, yeah, I've got a prediction. Okay, our next batch, I think Mariko's going to do Sorora side. Sticking with that. Mariko's going to get a knife. She's going to be like that TikTok. <laughs> like, Mariko's going to hurt. She's going to hurt somebody. She's going to go over the edge. It's going to be great beautiful um i mean like it's, <laughs> you will still support it's, oh yeah 100 percent. she can't do no wrong of course i mean you know marco could just kill somebody and we'll be fine she, she could stab me and i would be like it's cool i deserved it marco probably yeah <laughs> um you know but with Chekhov's gun raise um you know own knives i'm expecting something to happen with those eventually hopefully mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh her angsty throwing <laughs> knives. Yes, good, good. God, good. that's just such an incredible scene. <laughs> it's really good. It's really. Hmm. I, I don't. I, I, I would like Kaoru and and uh, and Ray to kiss, and they won't. <laughs> so that's on that's on me. Just setting my expectations ahead of time. But I, they did give me feelings. By the way, we we really neglected to even mention uh, Henmi, um, the the brother, the <laughs> titular character of this. Oh yeah, like yeah. I feel like there's there's stuff brewing. Uh, yeah, he's I mean, out I there. feel like there is something brewing with him, something more. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard I have heard content warnings for incest given in this series, so I have to assume that actually he double secret is related to Nanako, and that's that. There we go. Yeah. That's my you know prediction. What? I'm going to take a step forward further. He's Nanako's actual father. Well, that would be quite. No, I'm pretty sure he's the, the slightly older boy from the opening. Oh wait, flash. never mind. <laughs> okay, okay. Would be, would be wild. Would be wild. Would be- I would not put it past this. Would be quite the twist. I'll give it that. Time travel. Okay. Okay. Oh my god. (laughs) Dear brother introduces time travel in the last half. I'm gonna lose it. This series is so wild that I've just been sitting here laughing quietly with my hand over my mouth so that the mic doesn't pick up what specifically I'm losing my mind over. Incredible. Good. Oh, oh, I can't wait. Oh, that's the best. You know what? It's fun to be on the other side of that <laughs> exchange. The next seven episodes are so much. I'm so excited for you all. I cannot wait. Let's go. <laughs> yes, which brings us into, so we are trying to keep this to, even though this is a 39 episode series, we are trying to keep it to a fairly tidy five podcast just because, uh, you know, for our, our guests' time, and so that we can hopefully get it all out before maybe the license expires this summer. We don't know. Uh, with that in mind, for our second episode, we will be watching episodes 8 through 15. And by the way, because I didn't mention it at the top of the episode, if you don't have the Blu-ray, Dear Brother can currently be watched for free with ads on Retro Crush, which is very cool. I believe it's also it may also be on Crunchyroll. I haven't. It's checked. also on Peacock, 
which if you happen to have a subscription to that for some reason, or if like, I don't know, you're leeching access to it off of a parent's cable TV subscription, wink wonk, it is on there as well. <laughs> Just as a for instance. But yes, if this does sound interesting to you at all, uh, the time to get the Blu-ray is now. I will also, I'd also like to mention that I am not at all blaming Retro Crush or anybody, but most of the, uh, most of the uploads of it on the legal streaming site have a few mild issues with subtitle timing, especially around episode eight, if I remember correctly. Mm. So I do recommend the Blu-ray both for image quality and for it fixed the problem with the subtitle timing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good to know. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Anafam. If you liked this episode, you can find more of what we do on www.animefeminist.com, where we have more content on the page and in your earbuds. Or if you really liked what we did here, consider tossing us a dollar on Patreon. Every little bit really does help us to continue to pay our contributors and our editors and to be able to do things like you know, provide transcripts for these episodes, which we are really committed to doing. And we also, by the way, now have a shop that you can visit at animefeminist.com slash store, where you can find cool designs from uh, two artists, uh, Nico Neeks and our, our very own uh, Terry, who was around for our initial 2019 Indiegogo campaign. If you remember that, there is a lot of very cute merch on there. From coffee mugs to shirts to stickers. It is a lot of good stuff. You can also find us on social media. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist. And we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. Thank you so much for joining us, Anafam. And remember, next time, to live dramatically. Possibly up at a clock tower. Throwing knives. With some Tic Tacs. <laughs>